Greetings and salutations. Welcome to the island. My name is Daniel Frankman. I'm your host. And we're here with the second part of the interview with Carl Thomas. What would you consider as a man moment? I'll explain. A man moment? I'll explain. I'll explain because it's something <laughs> okay. that I that I was asked. Did you did you find this or did you make it up? I'm like, no, no, I made it up. <laughs> okay, a man moment. When because you talked about arts, you know, uh, music, uh, mm-hmm. visual arts, uh, sports. Mm-hmm. Your man moment is something that I believe you see outside of you. So, in a film, in literature, in art, in theater, in sport, something you've seen on the big screen or something that is not part of you that you relate to and so I for example I could say you know if we use if you use sport for example and mm-hmm. I'm watching sports you know so I can relate the feeling of what it's like to be a winner or a loser when I see a team with a crushing defeat or or a, a glorious victory I see my man moment in that I'm like yeah I've lived that moment I can feel what it was to be in that situation or a literature character if you if you read you're like yes that character represents a situation that i've lived or something like that i uh, again correct me if i'm not answering a question um i will i will when i was a teen one of my one of the it's not one of the first but it's really one of the books that got me thinking of, about being a man and being a black man the book is called the coldest winter ever and that man moment was a character named Midnight. And that character was, uh, he was described as a tall, dark, um, skinny young man, but that wanted to, to sort of like thrive for, for greatness in the book, but that never talked. And he got the name Midnight because he was very, very dark skinned, but also he never spoke when he didn't need to and i thought that character was so cool because i'm not tall i'm like five eight but i thought i thought in the book the character was so so cool that i i wanted to be that guy side note he was not doing you know regular things that that were legal but again that's a side note i i, I wasn't even focused on that the emphasis was on the demeanor that he had because i thought People were gravitating towards that guy and people always wanted to know what was going on with him, but they couldn't access sort of like this this wall that he built. And I felt that I guess that was like my man moment because I was like, man, as an adult, I want to be like midnight, not not because I want to do the, the hustles that he was doing, but it's just because I wanted to only give access to to certain people about like basically I only wanted to give access to my small surroundings mm-hmm. of, of my group of friends my group of homeboys that I had and I wanted to be that midnight sort of like the the gravitating power of like bringing people together but also staying like sort of like a mystery I didn't end up being that character but <laughs> but that was like my man moment does that does that connect? Because the question is made up by myself. Yeah. Your answer is the, <laughs> yeah, best, you the, best, an, the best answer that, uh, that you can give. Because <laughs> <Okay. laughs> it's, your, it's your personal experience. Okay. It's, okay. A, it's, again, 
it's a it's it's your uh, your life history mm -hmm. you know it's mm -hmm. uh, it's your story Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that it tells to the kind of the person you are and the, mm -hmm. the character of person you are. And un unintentionally, it actually links me to the next part of questions that I have for you, which mm -hmm. is based on, you know, what you do in your work and, you know, uh, and your education is basically you are, I believe, in everything that I've seen in terms of working with you and what you've said. And based on your character, Midnight, is... You are uh, a mentor. You are someone who people gravitate to, and I think you—the reason you're good at what you do is because you're excellent at gravitating and being that person for these youth. Mm -hmm. And I think you do it in a way, in like I said, in the social aspect, uh, nonprofit and the outreach type, mm -hmm. and you do it on the clinical side in terms of the youth protection, as well as you know your your further uh, situation or position in the in the hospital. Um, but. Um, how did you come to choose this type of work, uh, working with teenage youth and... Um the, the how, um, it's only because I was looking for a mentor. I, I think it's, it's because I was looking for, you know, we're a group of friends that had different, we're all from different backgrounds. If you meet the, the, the type of people that I hang out with, they're all from different backgrounds. Um, and I mean, all of them. We're, we're like a little clique of six people um, from Laotian to Salvadorian to Filipino to Moroccan, African, like it's 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 all the well, Irish Canadian. It's all different different backgrounds, right? But as a youth, I I was looking for a way not to connect with my friends because I had that connection, but to connect to the adult world because I felt like there's so many things that I want to learn. But I have no one to teach me. Yeah, you have teachers, you have, you have uh, adults at school. But often, like most of the time, those are not the people that you gravitate to when you really want to ask like serious life questions. So I was like, okay, I I want to be that person. I want to be that person when I grow up. I want to help um, every teenager that's not like me. Uh, I I mean that is like me. Because we're a clique, we're a clique that had the same predicament of not having a, a male or, or even, well, female, we had that in our moms, but a male mentorship, like to, to help us out, to, to, you know, have a conversation, like a, a meaningful conversation. So by not having that, I wanted, I wanted to, to be that for others. And I was lucky enough, I think in... I don't remember if I was 15 or 16, I met uh, my first outreach worker and I didn't know what was an outreach worker then. Um, he was a person that worked with youth. Um, his name was Kirby Sinat. And yeah, he, he was like, yeah, I, I'm an adult that works with youth. And I was like, okay, but what do you do? <laughs> He's like, I mentor them, I, I help them out. I, and, and, and we talk and, and I was like, okay, that, like at first I thought it was like weird, but then I saw the work that he was doing in the community for from doing community barbecues, um, from helping uh, families out. And I gravitated towards that adult. And I was like, he's a really, really cool individual. Like I want to be like that. Although I didn't see him sort of like as a father figure, but I did see him as a mentor, as mm. someone that I, I could inspire to be. And 
And I remember him saying, like, no, no, you want to surpass. Like, you never want to be your mentor. You want to surpass your mentor. And I think that was, like, the best advice that, like, an adult could give me. Um, so I wanted to do the same. Hmm. So a lot of people ask me, you know, if I if I have kids. I, I don't think you have kids, right? No, I don't have kids. So people ask me if you have kids. I'm like, no, but I take care of everyone else's kids. Yeah, valid point. Also, um, but as someone who has no kids, how do you conceive your credibility to give advice yeah. to youth? <laughs> I just say I'm older. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but um, it's a valid point, actually, because, because you know, when... when um, kids that get referred to, to by parents parents often ask me like do you have kids and when i say no some of them become skeptical yeah. so yeah. it's up to me usually to gain the trust of these parents and to show that i am a capable adult that is there to help your your son your daughter um a capable man exactly mm. exactly right mm. so when it's asked I do feel that sometimes I have to prove and go the extra mile yeah. to be able to do the job, but I don't mind it. And I think when when they are skeptical, it's a way for them to be protective of of their their children, and and it's a way for them to be to ask the question: Is the individual in front of me is trustworthy? And I think that's valid. Um, again, I don't know if that answers the question, but I I do go the extra mile to to sort of like not prove to them that I'm capable but prove to the to the youth that's in front of me that I am that I am and that I will be capable of uh, helping them as a man as an individual with no kids at the moment so yeah and I had the same situation also at the DYP for youth protection I'm working with families and then uh, them and I'm always honest and very transparent uh, and then them asking me do I have kids if I don't have kids, how can I understand? And I often tell them, I understand good from bad. So, and I'm here to bring to bring help. So you could either take it or not. But again, I don't see a lot of people running towards you to help you out. Um, but that's the DYP approach, right? And I and I always tell them like I'm there to support you, and, and not the opposite, not to to you know to break your balls. Like I'm really there to help you out um and in the community again it's it's I, I take the extra step of uh sort of like proving to the youth in front of me that i do have some of the answers not all some yeah, and i think i think what you talked about you know asking your father for, for for advice or questions and not answering and not looking to your stepfather and you know not wanting to get any answers from there you kind of know the position that you're in. I think we know the position we're in in terms of people want to communicate with us. We have to go the extra distance because the role of the man, your role, your traditional role, is not to sit down and necessarily talk emotions and be vulnerable with your son or daughter or with a stranger, a youth stranger. You know, so mm -hmm. that skepticism, I understand it. You know, as you see it, as you described it, um, but you have a lot to give because. You know, you, after so many years of experience, how many youths have you actually worked with? Uh, me, how many youth have you actually mm -hmm. worked with? Like, mm -hmm. you gain a lot of experience. And it's crazy to see them now. Like, some of them are all grown up. Some of them have kids. And, and they remember you. Like, it's, it's insane when you're walking in the streets and you hear your name. 
and I'll be honest, sometimes I don't recognize them, <laughs> but because they change so much, right? Yeah. But they recognize you, and I think, and I think that's awesome. Like that's where you see the the long term of of the type of work that we do. Yeah, I think that that uh, durability, you know, that um, that durable development that you can have in the youth to develop them, uh, to help them out, and as a compliment to you know the school system, as a compliment to their family, mm-hmm. you know, outreach workers coaches mm-hmm. um, were a complement to the development of, of, of the youth. Mm-hmm. It's not all going to come through you. Like you said, you don't have all the answers. Oh, it takes um, a community. That's yeah. that's the terminology, right? Yeah. It takes a community. Yeah. It takes a village. But uh, you do have a, a lot of experience, and so that part is is, is very important. And you, mm-hmm. you, know, you just have to reprove yourself on a regular basis anyways yeah. with strangers yeah. to begin with. For sure, for sure. Um, so, but I think it's very important what you talked about about your friends about your boys about the people who surround you you have access to different cultures different mm-hmm. different uh, different languages different ways and i think that helps you a lot to to be able to help youth oh, because yes. you see you've seen it all yes. not all but you've seen so much mm-hmm. and you've had access to all this in a relatively positive way you know in a less tough environment, I'd like to say, than it would mm-hmm. be in Brooklyn. Definitely. The same definitely. six boys I am, you said. I am grateful for that. So, <laughs> so, so it's, I think it's different, you know, and that's yeah. a testament to, to Montreal, to the island. You're mm-hmm. able to have these friendships mm-hmm. that, are, that are lasting. Um, and, and just one thing, b- bouncing off a little bit, I'll be please, very quick on, on what you just said. Um, you phrased it perfectly when you said, my friends give me access to knowledge and culture because having friends from different backgrounds different culture um when i meet a youth that's from a background that i know and i know the culture i'm actually able to to sort of like speak on it and and i think that that aids me a lot in in the job that i do and the richness of having that like i'm i always tell tell them it's 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 like an honor for me to be able to like, you know, dine with them, have supper, family meetings, and I'm always there and vice versa for them. They're always at like every family gathering that we do. Um, and for that, like eternally grateful for having these uh, these people around me. And I think you, you, you're reading the script here because the 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 part of what I would what I was going to say before you interjected is you know what kind of approaches would you would you would you favor would you use when you're talking to youths and children from different cultural backgrounds mm-hmm. and basically you, <laughs> yeah. you you brought it up you yeah. your access to, to your boys and to the community of Côte-de-Neige mm-hmm. and the community of Montreal has allowed you to be like oh, okay I know something about Laotian culture that mm-hmm. you know m- not many people know mm-hmm. about Laotian culture or I'm like oh, I have a friend from Tahiti I'm like yeah well I have a Croatian friend. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's yeah, exactly. particular. I know a lot about <laughs> the former Yugoslavia by default yeah. because I have a Croatian friend. Nice. You know, so I think that's that's basically answering, you know, what kind of approach would you have with kids that come from different backgrounds? Well, you can relate to them. It's mm-hmm. exactly that. You can relate to them in a way that they are surprised. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's interesting. Um, our line of work, yours more, I think. This type of career seems really hard. Um, it seems unrecognized, the type of work that you do. Um, how do you think you could be more recognized for your work? How, how do you think your work could be better understood? Um, and I'm not saying that you, you, know, you want to be recognized you know, and have a statue. And what, I'm like, but because it's so hard and it's so unrecognized, 
being a youth worker, an outreach worker, um, being a mentor, you know, being a coach, all these things, like, you know, how do you think we could be more recognized? How do you think it would be better understood, like, in your work? To be honest, that's, I don't think I'll be able to answer that question because that's that's a question I've been asking myself for years and I've been asking Prev too. Um, a lot goes, uh, every time I hear people debate or discuss that topic, we often go back to salary, right? Um, but unfortunately, we do live in a system where salary goes with the education level that you have. But what society doesn't tell you is that education level doesn't make you smarter than anyone else. It doesn't make you more capable. It might give you the extra knowledge to go back to a book um, and find a specific you know, situation and then use, uh, use it to, to, to approach your intervention. But I think the best way that people do learn well, again, speaking for myself, I think the best way that I learned about intervention was being in the neck of it, like being being in in in, in the field. And yes, I am grateful that I do have some education to back it up. But again, it's not you know, it's not by sitting down and reading books that I learned about how to properly intervene with a with a youth. And I think that comes with experience and being um being in the community and 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 learning with with your surrounding and the people surrounding you right but yeah unfortunately i i can't answer that question because the aspect of of capital keeps coming back yeah they they need to to pay them more and then they go well they don't really have uh that type of education but some some do and they're still paid the same so again it becomes a blockage within itself so i can't i can't answer that question i'm recognized by my community i'm recognized by the youth that i helped i'm recognized by the parents that sometimes i still get messages until today from every every time their kid goes let's say uh, to college i'll get a message i'll get a picture i'll get mm. so for me that's recognition for me that's 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 enough but again i'm speaking for myself but if i could again i i don't have the answer but if but if i could push one thing it would be for the people in charge to recognize that the work of outreach the work the work of a coach the work of youth work is important work um just like the work of teachers and everyone that's in the front line so that's that's how i would phrase it it would be for the for the people higher up to recognize that these people are important and these people are building you know the kids um from tomorrow so that's that's like the cheesy way i guess of saying it and i think it's you know we uh on the island we kind of see the podcast as a way to reach out mm. and and uh you know people can listen to us in their own way you know, and I think having someone like you and what you do and what you've done throughout your life without having known your, your, your story, without having known uh, your thoughts, it's important for us to have and recognize someone like you who has done you know, everything that you've named and more because we're just on the surface here of everything that you've done and all the, all the youth that you've, that you've helped and, and worked with. Um, I think the podcast is the same thing. We're trying to reach out and sort of provide this, this information this platform that people can reach out and, and listen to on their own time mm -hmm. and be like, you know what? I didn't think about how much 
you know, my, my child's coach influences uh, his or her life. Mm-hmm. And I think by, by hearing those things and saying, you know, like you said, just going to school doesn't make you smart. Like that's not, that doesn't make you a smart person. No, it doesn't. Uh, at all. But um, for people to recognize, especially here in North America, everything that surrounds the youth is really important in their upbringing. Like everything that surrounds uh, youth in any country of the world mm-hmm. is important for their upbringing. It's just that here, sometimes the youth, as you know better than me, have a more difficult time just because of the North American environment that is, in a way, uh, much different than the one that their parents know. For sure. And therefore, because you have that culturally anthropological situation, which is an area of study about, Mm -hmm. like, in the United States and Canada specifically, which is why you demonstrated it exactly Haitian culture in New York versus Haitian culture in in Montreal, hugely different. Mm -hmm. And Haitian culture in Haiti... Yeah, totally different. So, but you're you're, you're all considered Haitian. <laughs> so, which which is which is the interesting thing about it. Um, but you yourself uh, are a podcaster, which yes. is which is yes. which is interesting. You know, we were talking about before how we were both quiet youths when mm-hmm. we were younger, mm-hmm. um, but now we're 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 less we're less quiet. We're a little more vocal about certain things. Um, when and how did the idea originate for you to 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 do your podcast? Why did it start, uh, you know, and what do you see the, the contribution of the depth in culture and society? So, yeah, so I have a podcast named The Depth Podcast. You can find it on every platform plugin. <laughs> um, and The Depth Podcast, um, it's, it's a community podcast that gives the voice to the people in the community that is doing the work that have stories to tell and group discussions that sometimes could be uncomfortable to the to the public let's say uh, group discussions like talking about uh, minorities talking about gaslighting and talking about love but mainly mainly the podcast aims um, to give the voice to the people working in the community and to basically put a story behind behind them um, and we call it the depth sort of like the island um, there are multiple islands. Us, it's there are multiple depths around around. Well, in each neighborhood, and the difference between our depth is that, you know, when you walk in, you leave us with a story. Um, the depth is is the dépanneur, the the Quebecois term. The dépanneur is one of the few places that you could find like a lawyer, an artist, or whatever, um, going in to get uh, I don't know milk or whatever. So you need you bump into all sorts of people when you walk into a depth, right? And us is just that uh, these people leave us with a story, so that's it. And uh, how how did we come up with the idea? Was that a lot of times people wanted to know what's happening in NDG, who are the workers, who are this. So um, my colleague Lynn Lynn Whirl, um and I came up with uh, why not why not do a podcast about the community services that we have, about the people behind you know, um, the centers, who are the, the, the directors, who are um, the frontline workers. And we use it also for our intervention. So let's say um, if I'm referring a kid to an, an uh, organization, I, I could be listened to episode 15. This is the director of, uh, of that place, or this is the frontline worker that uh, you, you'll be meeting in like uh, the next week. 
So we use it also within our intervention, but like I said, it's mainly to give a voice to community workers and the community itself. Yeah, it is a it is a very interesting podcast. I've yeah. had the, the pleasure yeah. of listening, and the no. audio is not always perfect, <laughs> but we try our best. But it's I think uh, the message is something interesting, and people mm-hmm. can, like you said, bounce around from episode to episode, to kind of yeah, see who definitely. who they want to listen to or who they yeah. want to hear more about. Yeah, uh, that's kind of interesting. Just a final, I have a question that just came to me. Um, which has absolutely nothing to do with what you just explained. Okay, you want to keep going with this conversation? No, do you? just just one okay. thing. <laughs> the question about a, a term, the term, the term that you can enlighten me on. Okay. What uh, what is a baller? A baller? Oh damn! <laughs> um, well, there's there's for me the terminology of of being a baller could be could be expressed in two different ways. I myself, as a ball player, I will always consider myself a baller. Because, you know, I still wear uh, my slippers um, with socks, white, crispy socks. Um, yeah. Anytime that there is a basketball court nearby and I'm able to play, I will go play. I see also myself playing until I'm 50 and that my knees buckle and that I can't move. So basketball is, 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 is you hear the term ball is life. So that's a baller. The people that love basketball to the point of like they breathe, they play, they watch, um, they talk about it. Um, so that's the ball. Like that's an actual baller. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be football too. It's it's it, yeah. Actually, it could be football too because I played both when I was younger, and I did consider myself a baller too when I used to play football. Always, uh, you know, with the pads and everything. But I I, I made the switch, and the second. And the second way that I could define the term baller is the the terminology of uh, the hood ideology of being a baller basically is like flossing, being able to always show that, you know, you got this. Um, rather, it's, uh, you know, money, um, cars, chains, you know, he's a baller because, you know, he has it. He has it in, in, in a multitude facets of way way of having it he got the swag he got the drip he got the chains he got the new shoes anyways that that defines himself as you know he's a mm. baller but for myself i go with the first term <laughs> so the you one related to sports you yeah. go with the first term yeah you got ballers you got hoopers yeah well i i, I think that's clear okay <laughs> the, 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 two, the two the two terms are clear um i recognize both terms oh uh, perfect uh, perfect yeah, yeah. Being to Montreal and New York, it's very, uh, mm-hmm. very pertinent mm-hmm. those terms. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, so, we come to the part of the, the the podcast where we have two final areas that we want to delve into. Uh, one simple, one's you know a story. Um, we wanted to know uh, who your male role models were or mentors. Yes. Um, uh. In life, you talked a bit about you know your the reason for your type of work. Mm-hmm. Um, you talked a bit about back when you're talking about your family, about your uncle. Um, so yeah, we kind of wanted to know who were your male role models growing up or existing uh, mentors. Uh, mm-hmm. Is it is it weird that that I have two? It is not weird at all that okay. you have two. Okay. You could have you could have five. Okay, uh, but, I, but I got two. Okay, um, and technically I had one because I was I, I I thought about the present, 
but I remember having one also when I was a teen. Um, when I was a teenager, not being tall, playing basketball, my biggest role model for me was Allen Iverson. Um, I had the braids just like he did. I had the sleeve just like he did. And, and I wanted to be Allen Iverson in every sense of the way. Um, I thought he was like the coolest individual, despite, again, you know, his, his uh, antics outside the court. But I admire what he brought onto the court, being the smallest guy with the biggest heart. Um, and that's how I always played. Um, never had height, but biggest heart um, and always played hard on the court. So that was my role model when I was a teenager and let's say like borderline young adult. And then it's funny because I switch afterwards to, um, in case you guys don't know, I'm a black man. Um, I switched to my role model and it became Bill Simmons. Bill Simmons is a, he's a, a owner of the Ringer podcast. It's a, it's a platform that's, he just got bought by Spotify. Um, and he used to be a sports writer and sports uh, commentator on ESPN and then decided to go his ways because ESPN would always censor what he was trying to, to talk about. So then he opened, opened up The Ringer um, and then The Ringer just blew up. Um, the Ringer, for say, like is, is as big as ESPN on sports news. And it has different categories from golf to football to basketball to community talk and I was very very impressed by the man's parkour and I saw him not only because he talks about his kids all the time and about his family and about like his his upbringings and I found myself just gravitating to to this individual never met him um, I listened to him all the time I think he's super mm. inspiring um, and every every chance he gets um he gives back to the community and that's what that's what i think is impressive um about this individual so yeah uh bill simmons from the ringer podcast i think what's interesting about about both your both your role models um one is they're very different mm -hmm. totally um, <laughs> but two is they do both give back to the community mm -hmm. yeah i know adverson came from a crazy background oh uh, yeah and prior, you know, me also being small in stature, <laughs> uh, you know, same kind of concept when I played sports, mm -hmm. you know, you, you work hard and that's it. You do what you're told, the team first, and you, you work as hard as you possibly can. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and if we're, we're referring to basketball, the two players that I admired prior to Iverson as well were mm -hmm. Spud Webb and, oh, yeah. and Muggsy Bogues. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. We're both very small yeah, in stature, yeah. but... Ball yeah, goes they were through extremely the ball. small. Ball, ball goes through them. Yeah, yeah. Spud won a dunk competition, mm -hmm. if I'm not mistaken. So um, it's just interesting that you know both uh, are very different, and that kind of comes to you know your ability to share that is like you know it's not a traditional model of you know mm -hmm. for specific reasons you've chosen what they do in life, what they represent, and how they you know how they inspired you or how they you know yeah. brought themselves to to you and. Uh, it's very interesting. Very, very cool. Both very cool. Uh, thank you. Thank you. For very that. cool. And last part is very interesting is we, we, we ask our, our, uh, our guests to select a song. Um, <laughs> uh, 
I'm like laughing because it was the most difficult thing I ever had to do. Select a song Not that that uh, <laughs> that represents something uh, meaningful um, to you, and we you can say the song, uh, the artist. Uh, you can even mention the album. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> and um, and uh, we'll play that. We'll, we'll play a little a little part of it. Awesome. Um, but uh, just w maybe explain to us, yeah, the artist, uh, uh, the song, the album, and sort of why for you it's it's important or what it represents for you okay so so the artist and the song is is kendrick lamar and the song is growing apart and it's from the his ep uh, it wasn't even an album it, it's called overly dedicated and the reason why it was so hard for me because i it's it's the type of of mixtape slash album that you press play and you listen to it all you you don't skip like um all the songs tell you a story and all the songs are so good but the, the it starts with the first song and it's called growing apart and within the title it, it tells you everything What she said to me That place I used to call home Is just a bed to me And we don't even sleep Neighbors can hear her weep Meanwhile I'm in these streets With everybody I'm trying to get it And she know they got me I watch her feelings watch me As they staring with the saddest eyes Of loneliness Look each other in the face And barely blink I tried to make it right But the pen ran out of ink So if my letters don't reach you I hope these lyrics in sync As you grow older, you grow apart from the people you know. Um, people have kids and they move on, and and distance become relevant, and time becomes very, very significant. So the time you you choose to spend with someone, you know, in your twenties versus the time you choose to spend with someone in your thirties are very, very different. You think about it twice. Um, not not saying that you don't want to spend that time but you often think like you know i want to give time to the people that i care about as you grow older versus you have all the time in the world when you're younger so so this song doesn't doesn't speak about that but it speaks about the the, the growing apart factor in in a multitude of ways so if you guys could tune in to the to this uh mixtape slash album i highly highly recommend it for for any type if you're a rocker if you're if you're a rapper whatever if if you don't if you only listen to trap music um i'm telling you this this is different this was uh the coming out too um of kendrick lamar so that was that was awesome um uh, it's worth it man so the it's an incredible incredible again mixtape slash album and on that thank you very much uh carl carl thomas uh came in today as our guest really appreciated you coming in uh really appreciated you giving us access to your emotions i think uh our our, our listeners don't don't appreciate you know sort of the 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 environment that we're in but y you expressed a lot of stuff that that is that is really important for us to to hear it's important for us to hear as men as women as as humans uh your story is is very interesting and your story is only beginning you still have for a sure. lot a hopefully, lot to give hopefully <laughs> and, uh, and maybe uh, uh, this new job and stuff 
Um, but yeah, thank you very much for coming. Thank you very much for sharing uh, your your life with us. Um, your life is an intricate part of the island. It's just one of many stories. Um, thank you. Thank you so much. So yeah. Can, can I give one shout out to two people that were really really meaningful in the in the process of community? Almen Carrios, Alamen Carrios, and Terry Saint Marie. Thank you for giving me a chance. What was it? Twelve years ago. Uh, for hiring me as an outreach worker. So for that, I will always, always be grateful. Uh, thank you very much for that. And uh, anyways, we'll, we'll see each other soon outside of this, for uh, sure. outside of this podcast. <laughs> Thanks again, man. And uh, thank you to all our listeners. Um, thank you for stopping by the island. And uh, we'll see each other soon and hear each other soon. Thank you. Bye. I've been telling you how so-